0: Well, hey, you guys. Welcome, everybody. It is great to see you here this morning. And uh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, everybody. Isn't that a wonderful song? just kind of gets us uh, focused on who God is and his incredible power and his his great love for us. My name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so great to see you guys out uh, here on this beautiful Sunday morning. And uh, we are just beginning a new series that we're calling Uncommon Courage. And we're looking at the lives of five different men and women from the Bible. And we're looking at how God worked in their lives through some pretty challenging circumstances, gave them some pretty uncommon, some unusual courage. And we're asking ourselves, what was the source of their courage? What can we learn from their stories? What principles can we glean? And, uh, How can we apply those to our lives? So I think it's going to be a pretty interesting, pretty exciting series. And we're kicking off this morning with probably the most unusual character that you could ever imagine being someone who we're going to look to to being a hero. And kind of set the scene, two soldiers and a prostitute walk into a bar. Now, would you expect that to be the starting point for a sermon in a church or the kind of a joke that might be inappropriate to tell, uh, perhaps in polite company. It gets worse than that, okay? The two soldiers and the prostitute, they don't walk into a bar, the two soldiers walk into the prostitute's house. And that's how our story kicks off. And one of the three of them ends up in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. And the other two, we don't even know their names. And the one who ends up in the Hebrews Hall of Fame has three different things going against her. First of all, she's a woman in a, uh, in a male-dominated society. Secondly, she's a Canaanite, and the Canaanites were uh, enemies of the nation of Israel. And the third thing she's got going against her is her profession. So all these things are stacked against this woman and yet she ends up being our first profile uh, in Uncommon Courage. And the question is, how did this Canaanite prostitute end up being a hero of the Jewish faith having her name recorded actually in the New Testament book of Hebrews alongside such uh, famous men as Abraham and Moses and King David of Israel? So how did Rahab the prostitute, the Canaanite prostitute, end up being our first profile in courage. But before we look at her story, I want to kind of set the scene, because if you're not a Bible person, you may not be familiar with some of the Old Testament history. I want to set the scene for that. The uh, Jewish people had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and you may have seen one of the movies that talks about that. And a guy named Moses, God used Moses in 1440 B.C. to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt in a pretty miraculous way. There was the parting of the Red Sea. There was the drowning of the entire uh, Egyptian army. So they go ahead, they cross the Red Sea, and God leads them right up to the edge of this land of Canaan, which is where Rahab was from, leads them right up to the edge of Canaan, and he promises to give them the land of Canaan as their possession. And so Moses sends out 12 spies over into the land of Canaan. They're supposed to check it out, see what it's like. They come back and they say, it's an awesome land. And they use the phrase, flowing with milk and honey. It's an incredibly fertile land. But there's one minor problem. There's giants in the land, these huge fighting men. And it's, it's the, the Canaanite society, their soldiers were unbelievably brutal. And some of the things that they, they did... Uh, You know, we just are are shocking. We can't imagine it. Never mind some of the religious rituals, which would included uh, things like child sacrifice. So God leads them right up to the edge of Canaan, and they say, I don't know about this. We're kind of afraid of this situation. And they decide that they don't wanna go in. They don't wanna trust God to go in. And God says, look, if you're not gonna trust me, then you're gonna spend the next 40 years wandering around the wilderness until all of you who did not trust me die off. And your children, whose lives you were worried about, they're the ones that are gonna to get to go in and possess this land of Canaan. So they wandered around the desert for about 40 years, most of the, uh, that previous generation, except for two people, a guy named Joshua and a guy named Caleb, died off. And Joshua and Caleb were two of the, uh, were the two of the 12 spies who came back and said, you know what? Even though they're big, even though they're strong, even though they're brutal, our God is greater, our God is bigger, our God is stronger, and he can give us the victory. So God allowed, Mo, uh, allowed Joshua and Caleb to outlast the rest of their generation. They're standing here on the edge of the land of Canaan, Joshua has now taken over from Moses and Joshua says, I'm gonna send out a couple of spies and we're gonna take a look at the land. So let's, t- let's pick up the story there in Joshua chapter two. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So what are two good Jewish boys doing in the house of a Canaanite prostitute. One of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't gloss over the messiness of life. I mean, You wouldn't expect to find these two Jewish soldiers hiding out in the house of a prostitute. What are they doing there? You wouldn't expect to find two Jewish boys hiding out in the house of a prostitute. So it's the perfect place for them to go because there are men coming and going at all hours of the day and night. And so they're figuring we're not gonna be noticed there. And so that's why they end up at this prostitute's house. But, verse two, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they came from. And at dusk, it was when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flask that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Put yourself in Rahab's position. You got these two enemy soldiers hiding out in your house. You're a prostitute, so you're, not, you're already not on the, you know, the good side of the king of Jericho. And he comes in, he sends his men in, says, where are the two spies? Where are the two men? You're going to tell them the truth, turn them over? Or are you going to lie in order to protect these two enemy spies? Why would Rahab be willing to risk her life for these two enemy soldiers? Let's keep reading. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, that's when Moses led them out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. These were other enemies of Israel whom just a month or two before uh, Israel had destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. You see what's happening here? This Canaanite woman who comes from a people who absolutely do not worship the God of Israel, she knows who the God of Israel is. And in fact, if you look real closely at the way things are are worded there, the word that she uses to refer to the Lord is not the common name, just the general name for God. It's the specific name for the God of Israel by whom he said his people should call him that name. It's his covenant name. It's the name, the special name that he gave his special people to talk about the relationship that they had with one another. And she uses that name to refer to To the God of Israel. All the people of Jericho had heard of God's power. They had heard what the Lord had done to the Egyptians, drowning all the Egyptian army. They heard what they had done to the Amorites across the Jordan River, how they had destroyed all of the Amorites. And they're terrified. All of them were afraid. All of them knew what God had done by his great power. But only one of them decided that she was going to side with Israel. Only one of them had faith, trusted in God, and that was Rahab the prostitute. They were paralyzed by their fear, and she ended up trusting God, looking to him in order to provide for her and her family. Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. It's kind of interesting that Rahab just happened to have a rope that was long enough uh, handy to let uh, men down out of the window. Perhaps uh, some others had taken advantage of that opportunity beforehand. But there she goes. She gave them. Not only did she not turn them over to their pursuers. She gave them the opportunity to escape. She helped them leave and she gave them some directions to go so that they wouldn't be captured. Verse 22, When they left, they went to the hills, stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. Then they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Do you catch what just happened there? Not only did Rahab help them to escape, she gave them a key strategic piece of information that strengthened them and enabled them to have confidence that they could come in and take over. She said, We're terrified of you. And you know, when the enemy army is terrified, victory is going to be a whole lot easier. So she was able to give them the confidence that helped them to enter into the land. And the irony of the whole situation is 40 years ago, the Israelites were essentially in the same place and they were terrified of the Canaanites and they refused to go in. Here we are 40 years later and the Canaanites are terrified of Israel And that gives them the courage to go in. But let me step back for just a minute and we need to ask ourselves a key question. And and that question is, what was the source of Rahab's courage? Why was she brave enough to switch her allegiance from her own people to the enemy people, from her own gods to the God of her enemies? Rahab's courage came in. This is going to sound strange at first, but Rahab's courage came from her fear of God. She was more afraid of the God of Israel than she was of the king of Jericho. And that gave her the courage to switch her allegiance because she believed that the God of Israel was more powerful than the king of Jericho. And so she decided to trust her fate to the Lord rather than to the king. But if we stop there, we end up with this very one-dimensional view of this concept of the fear of God and what was going on with with Rahab's courage. And and it gives us this this kind of limited, myopic, one-dimensional view that really doesn't take into account all that's going on in this story and really for the rest of Scripture. So I want to look at what happened to Rahab later on in the story. Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites come up, God causes the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down. If you ever were a kid in in church, you've had kids in church that may have sung songs about the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, that sort of thing. The Israelites go up, and Joshua keeps his promise to Rahab. Verse 25, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Did you catch that last phrase? She lives among the Israelites to this day. The author of the book of Joshua is saying Rahab is now one of us. She's part of our people. Not only did Joshua spare her life, he could have if he had wanted to send her off somewhere else to live some other place, but he said, "No, you come, you're now part of this nation of Israel." And so she became part of God's people. But not only that, 1,400 years later, a young Jewish woman gives birth to a baby boy. And he grows up, and he lives. He's killed. Something else happens after that, maybe a little resurrection action. And uh, some biographies are written about him. And one of Jesus' biographers writes unbelievably interesting genealogy. Matthew chapter one verse five: Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the prostitute. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. By the way, Ruth was another foreigner. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of the greatest king of Israel, King David. So you've got Rahab the prostitute as the great-great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king. Who would have thought that? What was God doing? Why would he have Rahab be the great-great-grandmother of Israel's King David? But there's more, let's jump forward about a thousand years, a couple dozen generations to a little town about 70 miles away from Jericho. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus who's called the Messiah. Jesus is descended from a Canaanite prostitute. Why in the world Would God have his son be born into the world as the descendant of a Canaanite, a foreign, an enemy, prostitute? And then, if he did that, why would he advertise it? Because if you've ever worked your way through any of the genealogies, and often we skip them in in the Bible, but when we do, we miss some pretty incredible things. Why would... Why would God advertise this? Because if you've ever worked your way through the genealogies, you know there are practically no women mentioned in the genealogies. Again, it's a male-dominated society where women don't have in many people's eyes the same value that they have uh, that, that men do. In fact, there are only five women mentioned out of several dozen people in Jesus' genealogy. Why was this foreigner mentioned there? Why was this prostitute mentioned in Jesus' genealogy? Because Jesus wanted to identify himself with people like Rahab. That's the kind of God he is. It doesn't matter whether she's a prostitute or a queen. It doesn't matter whether the person is, uh, it, you know, whatever the occupation is. The issue is are they loyal to him? Is she trusting in him? Is she looking to him? to meet her needs. And Rahab, who is the the person whom we would least expect to be someone whom God would hold up as an example of faith, as an example of courage, as an example of someone who trusted in him, Jesus included her in his genealogy for exactly that reason. Because it doesn't matter who we are, what we've done, the question is, are we trusting in the God? of the universe, the God who created all this, the God who is more powerful than any other so-called God, than any king, than any army. Rahab knew that, she trusted in him, and so she ended up in Jesus' genealogy. That gives us a much more complete picture of the fear of God. Rahab trusted in God because she understood his power. We trust in God because we understand both his power and his love. Her fear of God was based simply on God's power. Our fear of God is based both on his power and on his love. And this concept of the fear of God is one that's actually fairly broad. If you trace it throughout the Bible, you find out that on the one end, there's this idea of terror, but on the other end, there's this idea of trust. And in between, we've got concepts like respect and reverence and awe and worship, and so this idea of the fear of the Lord is not this very narrow idea of I'm shaking in my boots because he might kill me. Although God is powerful enough to do that, he's also loving and he uses his power for our good. And so if we're his enemies, we ought to be shaking in our boots because he's got the power to destroy us. But that same power that can destroy us can actually rescue us if we're his friends. That that uh, that power that w- would crush God's opponents carries his friends. The power that could destroy us actually saves us because God is not just simply powerful, he's also loving. And that comforts us because we know that what God promises he can do, he will do, and he does it on our behalf if we're trusting in him. I love what Psalm 115 says. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. There's fear and trust kind of juxtaposed right there. He is their help and shield. So those who fear God, God is their help and their shield. He's their protector. He's their, the one who provides for our needs. And so when we choose to be loyal to God, we don't need to be afraid of him. We can trust he's going to use our power, his power for our good, and that can be an incredible source of courage, much like it was for Rahab. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, and we sang about this just a few minutes ago, if God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? if he gave us his son, if he sent his son Jesus, who is a descendant of a Canaanite prostitute, if he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and rise again, that we could have a restored relationship with him, if he went and did that for us, what wouldn't he do in order to meet our needs, in order to show his great love for us, in order to pour out his power for our benefit and for his glory? Rahab risked her life when she chose to side with God and his people rather than with her own culture. Most of us don't end up in a situation like that. Most of us have not risked our lives to identify ourselves with God and and, and with his people. But we do find ourselves in situations where maybe there's some embarrassment to identify ourselves with God and with his people. And we need the same kind of courage that Rahab had. Maybe the stakes aren't quite as high, but sometimes they kind of feel that way when we're in different situations. And so we need the same kind of courage that Rahab had when she was willing to identify with God and with his people. We need to have the confidence that God is both powerful and that he's loving. And one way that we can grow in our confidence in God is to reflect on his power and to reflect on his love, both in the Bible and in our own lives. And I want to encourage you to take some time to reflect on God's power. Think about, for example, his creation. What what did it take for God to create the universe out of nothing with all the incredible variety That he's created. Just look around this room, see the variety of people. Look outside, see the variety of plants and animals, the beauty of the sky, the grandeur of the mountains, the beauty of the forests, and you realize this is an unbelievably powerful and creative God. What about the power that God used to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt? Or what about the power that Jesus exhibited? and all the miracles that he did. Or maybe what we could even see as, as the ultimate display of God's power, raising his son from the dead. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us if we're followers of him. So then take some time to reflect not only on God's power, but also on his love. What kind of love does it take to take a Canaanite prostitute and end up having her in the New Testament Hall of Fame of Faith held up as an example that we should follow. What kind of love does it take for God to send His Son to die in the place of people who were not seeking after Him, of of people like me, of people like you, of people like us who are broken, who are sinners, who aren't living the way that God wants us to live. What kind of love does it take for him to do that? Just spend some time this week meditating on that, reflecting on that, and considering that, and then ask him to use that to strengthen your faith in him. Another way to grow in our courage, another way to grow in our faith is to actually step out in faith and take a small step in terms of trusting him to identify ourselves with God and his people and maybe that first step for you is as simple as when uh, tomorrow morning somebody says what did you do this weekend you say well I watched the Rangers lose a hockey game and I went to church on Sunday you went to church you actually go to church yeah and I heard a message about a prostitute you ought to join me you know (laughs) kinda interesting kind of a little bit different maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus but you know Take a step of faith and just tell somebody that you're checking out who Jesus is. You want to find out a little bit more about him. That could be a huge step of faith for some of us to do something like that. Maybe you want to invite someone to come with you to Saturday night at the Opera House in a couple of weeks. Pretty low-key environment, some good music, some good food, good conversation. But it's at a church, And by inviting them to come to Saturday night at the Opera House at Renaissance Church, you're taking a step of faith. You're taking a little bit of a risk there. It's not going to cost you your life, but maybe you're going to be a little bit embarrassed to do that. Take that step of faith and ask God to strengthen your faith and to strengthen your courage in him. Or maybe you want to invite someone to come to a weekend service with you. Or maybe you've got a friend who's hurting. Maybe they've got a relationship that's falling apart, marriage or a situation with one of their kids. Maybe they've got health problems, maybe they just lost their job. Ask God to give you the courage to come to them and say, do you mind if I pray for you? Do you mind if I ask God to help you in that situation, to help you to find some peace and some comfort in that situation? Or maybe you actually wanna step out one step further and say, can I tell you about the love of Jesus? This incredible God whom I worship, can I tell you about him and what a difference a relationship with him can make in your life? I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but wherever you are, let me encourage you to take a step of faith, to identify with God and his people, to trust him and to ask him to give you the courage to take that next step of faith. A couple of weeks ago, one of our high school students told me that she had invited uh, two of her teachers to come and hear Lee Strobel speak. Uh, and he was here. If you missed his message a couple weeks ago, amazing message. It's available on our website. And uh, let me encourage you to either watch it or listen to it. You can actually see it on or listen to it on iTunes as well. Anyway, this student told me uh, that she'd invited a couple of her teachers to come And uh, hear Lee Strobel speak. And for whatever reason, uh, neither of them came. And, you know, she was maybe a little bit discouraged by that, but she went a step further and she said, Hey, I know you weren't able to make it out uh, to hear him speak live, but the video is available on our website. Both of them ended up watching that video. And one of the two of them, who is a a somewhat vocal agnostic, not really obnoxious about it, but uh, most of the students, Uh, at her high school, know that he says, hey, I am absolutely not a person of faith. He sent her an email afterwards to thank her for that. And he said, I really appreciate you uh, sending me the link to that message. And it really got me to think. One of our high school students stepped out in faith, trusting God and asking him to work. I don't know what's going to happen to that teacher, but he's heard about Jesus He's heard about some of the, resurrect, uh, the evidence for the resurrection. He's heard about God's love. Who knows? Maybe that's the first step in him coming to faith in Jesus. Another Renaissance regular uh, sent me a copy of an email that he sent to 75 of his friends and his relatives, encouraging them to watch uh, Lee Strobel's message online. And here's, here's an excerpt of what he wrote. He said, you know, I don't wear religion on my sleeve, and I'm sure you've never heard me talk about religion. But my wife and I saw in church yesterday one of, if not the most powerful and impressive messages either of us have ever seen on the topic of religion. Again, I never forward religious messages, but this one was too good to keep. Whether you go to church, don't go to church, whether you're agnostic, atheist, Christian, whatever, trust me on this one. Get a cup of coffee, a glass or two of wine, a beer, soda. If you're living in Colorado, get something else. (laughs) Sit back and enjoy this. Sit back, and he actually had that in there. Sit back and enjoy this. When you think about the significance of this topic, when you think about the significance of this topic, you'll get my thinking as to why I wanted you to watch this message. Here's a guy who may have never publicly identified himself as a follower of Jesus. Yet he was so moved by that message. He was so moved when he heard the the evidence for the resurrection and and, and, uh, Lee Strobel's message and how God had changed Lee's life, he was so moved that he was willing to take that step of faith, to have the courage to step out, to identify himself with God and his people and to encourage 75 of his friends and relatives to watch this message. Pretty amazing to think what God can do when he gets a hold of us, what God can do when we encounter both his power and his love. As you heard a couple, uh, last week when we were talking about our mission and our vision, here at Renaissance, we want to help our friends and our neighbors explore and experience a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Imagine what it would be like here in Summit and Short Hills and Chatham and New Providence and wherever you live. Imagine what it would be like if all of us in the next week or two took a step, stepped out in faith, had the courage to trust the God of the universe, and we just identified ourselves with God and with his people. Imagine how that could begin to make a difference in people's lives as they hear about the God who's powerful enough to create the universe, the God who is powerful enough to raise his son from the dead, and the God who loves us enough to have become a man, to live, to die on a cross so that we could be restored to a relationship with the creator of the universe. Imagine what it would be like if each of us were willing to take a step like that this week. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are an unbelievably powerful God, that you are the most powerful being in the universe, stronger, more powerful than the king of Jericho, than the president of the United States, than any army that has ever existed. I thank you for your unbelievable power. But I thank you that you're not only powerful, I thank you that you're unbelievably loving, that you were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice and send your son to die for us, that we could be restored to a right relationship with you. I thank you that you have poured out that love in our direction. And Father, I pray that as we reflect on your power, as we reflect on your love, I pray that we would have the courage, that we would have the faith to trust you and to step out and to identify ourselves with you and with your people. And I pray that as we do that, that would be a step in the lives of our friends and our neighbors and our relatives as they hear maybe just a little bit about who you are and what you've done. I pray that they would take a step towards you and I pray that ultimately they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done and the privilege that we have to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you guys for coming out this morning and I hope you have a wonderful week.